Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Today is Friday, February 2nd, 2024. It is a bright and beautiful day here in Nashville, about 60 degrees, and really a welcome change from the last few weeks with frigid cold and snow. Part of what I am attempting to do with this podcast is to preserve a record of the memories of key leaders involved in parks and recreation in Tennessee. This is so that those experiences and memories will not be lost to future generations. Yesterday, I had a chance to sit down and talk with Murray Crow. Murray is a highly regarded longtime Tennessee State Park ranger, park manager, and parks administrator, and he is now retired. As you will hear, Murray has weathered the rough and tumble in many years of service in Tennessee State Parks. His assignments included postings to small parks and to resort parks, parks in different parts of the state, and in central office with statewide responsibility. And some very interesting experiences. You will hear him talk about the preparation for hosting the Olympic kayaking at the Okoy River in 1996, and the challenges of implementing a controversial park entry fee policy during the Sunquist administration. I do hope that you will enjoy this interview, and we will get started right after this brief message. Hi, this is Heather Lose, Editor-in-Chief of the Tennessee Conservationist Magazine. Every year, we publish six beautiful issues packed full of timely and informative stories about Tennessee culture, people, and places. You can stay informed about your world and all the great things happening in your Tennessee state parks. It's easy to subscribe. Just go to our website at tnconservationist.org. Thank you. Murray Crow, welcome to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Uh, glad to be here, Mark. Well, it's, thank you for coming over. You're, we're here in uh, Nashville at, at my home and recording this podcast, and it's uh, as I said many times, it's uh, now that COVID is sort of a thing of the past, we can do these in-person interviews again. And so yeah, it's, it's great to see you in person. Sounds good. I've heard some of your podcasts, and I'd be willing to contribute what I can. All right. Well, thank you for coming over. Murray, you have retired um, from Tennessee State Parks after a long career in, in the park system. And I wanted to take the opportunity to, to sit you down and and uh, pick your brain about your recollections of, of what happened to you during during that uh, that period that you were in service to the to the state, um, and so that's going to be the focus of what we talk about today, and, okay. and get your observations of of uh, maybe some history. As we get started, though, I wanted to ask you um, what was your inspiration uh, to begin a career in parks and recreation. Well, it goes back to my youth. My mother was a elementary education teacher in Charlotte, Tennessee, and one of her teacher friends um, who taught across the hall from her was uh, married to a park ranger. Well, unfortunately, my father passed away when I was 12. Okay. And um, so we would go visit her friend that lived in the park that was married to the park ranger. And, uh, at Montgomery Bell, yeah, I Montgomery presume. Montgomery Bell, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget the first time I went over there, he was on duty in his uniform and uh, 
got dark, probably ten, eight or nine o'clock. Said, "Murr, take a take a round with me." So I got in a truck with him and got to ride through the park as he closed the gates, and uh, it just kind of went from there. And uh, also, my two older brothers were both uh, employees, seasonal employees at Montgomery Bell. Okay. And me being the younger brother, I'd tag along. And while they were at work, whether one of them worked swimming pool, one of them worked in maintenance, um, I would hit the trail until the swimming pool opened, to the lake swimming opened. So, so you became really intimately familiar with Montgomery very, Bell. Very much so. I yeah. spent a lot of my free time there. In the summertime, when I wasn't mowing yards, I got to go to the pool at uh, Montgomery Bell with my brother. So you finished high school, and I know you went off to UT Martin to that's, school. That's correct. And, you know, so many of our park rangers and managers uh, have been through that program uh, yes. at, 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 at Martin. Tell us about your experience there. Well, I started in 73, and at the time that I started in the fall of 73, they did not have the park and rec program. But during my first quarter there is when they instituted that curriculum. So I went down there as a first remainder and I changed over my first quarter, which I didn't lose any credits or anything right. to park and rec. So myself and several others that were freshmen that year were the first group to follow the first full four year curriculum. So, uh, you know, I think that everything that uh, was instructed, those specific classes were very helpful in my entire career. Right. Now, a lot of those um, classes and curriculum was assisted in setting up with Bill Boswell. Boswell was, Well, tell me what you mean about that now. Well, I think that when they were setting up the curriculum, Boswell may have even gone to them to try to get a curriculum specific to park management. So that curriculum included some law enforcement, a lot of business, uh, a lot of biology and plant science, um, a lot of management classes, and um, business report writing. You know, that was one of the most hated classes in UT Martin was business report writing. Probably <laughs> ended up being the most beneficial sure. in, over Absolutely. my career, learning how to do memos, business uh, uh, letters, right. uh, business reports. And, All right, well, let's drop back a second and tell our viewers who Bill Boswell was, our listeners who well, Bill Boswell was. when I was actually at Martin, we would do field trips to different state parks, and Bill Boswell at the time was director of parks. Right. And he would meet us in the parks, tell us uh, how things worked, uh, how operations were when new construction took place, the whole capital budget funding process, you know, he was always open to any questions and uh, information that we were trying to get from him about working in the state park. Not just being a ranger or working in the office, but uh, the big budget things. Well, that's just fa that's fascinating. Uh, I mean, I obviously knew Bill uh, very well. He was my assistant for a couple of years. Right. Um, and um, uh, but I never knew that. I, I was not aware that he was involved in the establishment oh, yeah. of that program. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, he knew some people at Martin, and they uh, got together to put that curriculum together. Right. Very, <clears throat> it's a very wide-ranging 
topic of subjects. Um, like I said, all of them are beneficial. A lot of business, like accounting. Right. I always was actually kind of good at accounting. Right. Uh, so that came easy. Uh, math didn't. I didn't have to have a lot of math in, in, in that curriculum. You know, um, Dr. Phil Lavely, in my experience, was the, the key person involved with that program. Was that was he your major professor, so to speak? Yes. Uh, Dr. Lavely came in, I think, uh, at the end of our freshman year, beginning of our sophomore year. Dr. Duck was the lead for Park and Rec when I went there. Oh, okay. And then Dr. Lavely came, and he took over. He was... A really great guy to work with, a lot of fun, uh, had a real good rapport with the students. Uh, he and, uh, he could be tough at times, but that was, uh, he was a real good instructor. Right. You know, I had the occasion to, to go down there and, and uh, speak to his classes from time to time. Mm-hmm. And this is after you'd graduated, certainly. But... Um, uh, and, and he was well-respected around the state by... by uh, People in all in all the areas yeah, of parks yeah. and recreation. Well, there were some specialty park and rec curriculum classes that we took. One of them was campground management, right. park and recreation development. Right. We had one uh, senior level course that was called Park and Recreation Development Simulator, where we actually acted as park directors and developed the park within a city. I think most of them were city parks. Right. And then we got judged on how we were able to take the funds that we had to build the um, facilities and the operations that might have been needed. And some of the operations had positive public opinion. Some of them had negative public opinion. And some of them generated revenue. Some of them didn't. But it was a really interesting course. Right. Well, over the, over the years, in my experience, the... Uh, you know the Tennessee State Parks continues to to draw from from that program. Um, it, it's it's really provided some well, excellent people. At the time I went, it was and for many years afterwards, it was the only university that had a park and recreation um, curriculum specialty. Well, you know, UT Martin, UT Knoxville had always had a recreation degree. But it was focused more on, on community recreation, right. uh, uh, more of a community center director type of a, of a uh, uh, lead. I worked with, uh, I worked at Lime Twin Lakes summer mm-hmm. of 76, and there were probably 50 seasonal interns there. Mm-hmm. That's where I did my uh, college internship. And there were several people there from UT, and they were in the uh, PE Right, curriculum. right. It was part of the physical education right. program. Right, they were right. in a PE curriculum. Right. Ours was actually our degree at Martin was a, a BS in natural resource natural management yes. in the School of Agriculture. That's right. That's right. Okay, so after after graduating university, where where did you begin your career in, in Tennessee State well, Parks? <clears throat> I'm from Dixon County, and I got fortunate to be placed at. Um, Montgomery Bell, there was a vacancy. Well, actually, a new position got created, and uh, I was able to start out in my hometown. I had applications to go anywhere in the state, but that one happened to be the first one. And I worked there from 78 to 82. As a ranger? As a ranger. Okay. And that was back when they had Ranger 1s and Ranger 2s, and uh, but I was a Ranger 1. Okay. 
Did you have to go to the law enforcement academy? Oh, yeah. I went to the academy um, in the fall of uh, 78, and uh, there were six other rangers in the academy at the same time I was. And one of them was actually still working. Wow. Ray Kutcher, still working. Oh, yes, Ray's still yeah, working was, at was, Cummings Falls. That's yeah. right. He, right. He's the manager at Cummings Falls, right. and he was in the my law enforcement And that was, would have been... Not the first class of rangers to go through the academy, but among the fir- very first. I think there were some in that started going in 77. Right, right. Uh, but I think at the time I started, all the rangers went through the academy. Right. Speaking of Bill Boswell, that was one of his initiatives, yes. was to, to make sure that uh, folks who, who uh, carried a law enforcement credential actually had the training that was necessary. That's correct. He yeah. was always real... Up to date on training, trying to get us uh, together. We always had a very intense fellowship when we had when we had our in-service trainings. Right. Well, tell us about about where your career progressed then from from Montgomery Bell. Well, in '82, um, I ended up going to Burgess Falls. Okay. There were some opportunities that came available, and. One of them was real foot, one of them was pickwick, and one of them was red clay, and they were all ranger transfers. Well, I found out they had a uh, position available at Burgess Falls that was called, a, at that time, a natural resource area supervisor, Okay. which nowadays would be what they call area manager, manager yeah. one. Right, okay. So I applied for that job, and Joe Gaines interviewed me. I called him up, told him I was interested in the job. He couldn't get me up there fast enough because I think they had a hard time finding someone there. And at that time, Dr. Sharpio was looking for people with college, college degrees, degrees yes. to go into those positions. Actually, right. you had to have one. Right. So I interviewed, and uh, I ended up going to Burgess Falls. But that, was, that, at the time, was a good move for, on your part, but was not a plum position by any means. No, you know... Montgomery Bell, being there four years, there's a lot of activity that a ranger participates in sometime. You got all the operations, you got the campground, you got your day users, you've got uh, the hotel, you've got the restaurant, right. a swimming Golf pool, course, yeah. Golf course, and you go to Burgess Falls, and I'm thinking for six months there, it was like a vacation because I was doing things that I needed to do there every day, but after about six months, I got a little bored. Right. So uh, when the opportunity came up, I was looking to, to relocate. Right. And uh, I was there about a year and a half, and that's when they, Dr. Sharpio established the regional system. Okay. And uh, I applied for one of the regional assistants. They would be, end up being, it's called, a, I would have been an assistant superintendent for the changes in the names took place. Okay. And uh, I applied and got a job at Harrison Bay. Okay. Well, you know, the when I first went into, and you let hear your, your comment about this. When I first went into conservation in 79, every park manager reported directly to the director. Um, and, you know, 53 parks, that was way too many people to have direct re- responsibility. And so then, as you mentioned, the regional um, supervisors came into play. Right. I think before that, 
you know, when I was at Burgess Falls, I kind of answered to Joe Gaines. He was the assistant director. And right, um, right. Ollie Keller kind of oversaw the larger parks. Mm-hmm. So you had two people that were kind of an intermediary between Dr. Sharpio. Right. Uh, and then I think Dr. Sharpio recognized that was just too much for those two people right. and too much for him. Right. So he just established eight regional managers. And then each regional manager would have a assistant superintendent that basically managed the park and they were still had some responsibilities on that part. Gotcha. You know, for example, Jerry Bird was the regional director, regional manager for the southern middle Tennessee area. Correct. Um, but he was also essentially the superintendent at, at Horton. Correct. Um, but so he could he could do both jobs. He had to have a, an assistant there at Horton to kind of be, be in charge while he was That's away right. doing other things. But... I do recall this, that after we'd been in those positions, they ended up changing the title to Manager One. And then, but we still had the regional managers over the park and we kind of joined forces to manage the park. But they separated the regional managers away from the parks and they promoted all the people that were the manager ones in those parts. Okay. And if I recall correctly, you might have been the uh, director at the time that that took place. I don't have any recollection of that. I doubt that, seriously. I think that happened before I was involved. <clears throat> but well, anyway. The re- it bit, well, uh, the reason yeah. I remember that. Yeah. We were going to get promoted up since we were going to not be an assistant superintendent anymore. We're going to be a full superintendent. So right. we were going to get a promotion. Okay. So there was a lot of controversy about placing myself and the other per- people into a promoted position without competition. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But yep. someone made the decision, and I thought it was you, she said the right thing to do is to let those people promote without trying to compete if they've been doing the the right thing. Well, you know, your recollection is better than mine. I don't remember that happening. I do remember there being some controversy about how many um, uh, regions there were, and I know that that's been reduced back down a little bit well, since then. Well, they reduced, they got rid of them right. for a while. Right, right, right. And then they came back with uh, four. Right. Well, I think three, then four. Right. And now I think they're six or eight okay. again. So you were at Harrison Bay. Tell us about your, your experience there. Well... Now, that's a park down near Chattanooga area. That's correct. Right. It's uh, north of Chattanooga on the, the uh, Harrison Bay, of course, the river. Right. And um, it had a uh, substantial marina. Yes. I think it was 160, 170 slip marina. Very large campground. I think it had, at the time, 188 campsites. Uh, Very large, popular swimming pool. Uh, Huge swimming pool. Substantial uh, day-use area. And uh, it was a hectic park to work at. Summertime, you know, when you had people in in all their boats in the marina and you had the people in the campground, um, you had a small city going on, and there's always something going on at that park. Right. And that park now has a golf course. Correct. The right. golf course was in, put in after I left. Right. And um, the golf course uh, originally was a contracted, 
and but it's not contracted now. I think it's under self-operated, state, yeah, state management now. Right, right. And you were working with with Mr. Beatty. That's right, Tommy. Beatty. Tell tell us about Tommy Beatty and your experience with him. Uh, he's a he was an interesting man to work with, right? To say the least. At the time, I think, you know, he started out thirty years earlier, so he had a lot of. Uh, a lot of years behind him, he had a, he was real friendly with politicians. You know, he he was hired in the day when the people were hired based on their uh, political preferences, their political sure. who they knew, not necessarily what they knew. Right. But uh, he moved up through the ranks um, and became a regional manager. Right. And uh, he's a, not necessarily an easy person to work for. He was the regional manager down there when when I was director and was was uh, was always an experience to to do business with him. Oh yeah, straight straightforward sort of guy would always well, you know, tell you what was going on. It's kind of interesting. I interviewed um, for a job at Henry Horton. A vacancy came there. This is, would have been several years later, but a vacancy came up at Henry Horton after uh, Ed Schoenberger passed away. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed for that position, and there were probably. Ten people on the interview panel. Now that would have been for the chief ranger's position. Well, they interviewed for the chief ranger position separate. Okay. But on the same day with the same panel. Okay. But uh, I remember there's Jerry Bird, there was uh, Ollie Keller, there was uh, David Kendall, um, several others, the ones that work in central office, and of course, I'd done a resume and a you know, life experience paperwork that they'd given to me. And they asked me the typical questions, and they ended the interview. It was uh, uh, not Ollie, but David Kendall asked the question, okay, Murray, why should we hire you? What do you got to offer? And I just kind of offhanded said, well, I worked for Tommy Bader for 10 years. I can do it. <laughs> and they cracked up because I think they knew exactly what I was saying because right. Tommy's not an easy per- was not an easy person to work for. Right, right. He could be demanding at times. Right. So what is where, where did you move after you were you were there at Harrison Bay? Uh, I went from Harrison Bay to um, to Edgar Evans. That's the park I always wanted to work at. It's a lot closer to home. I didn't like being in Eastern Time Zone. I was down there for 10 years and never got used to it. And I don't like watching 11 o'clock news. <laughs> so uh, I, was, I wanted to get back to Middle Tennessee, and Edgar Evans came available. And um, actually, Jerry Adams and I swapped parks. He wanted to move to East Tennessee. I wanted to move towards the middle, so we swapped. And um, that was a good good run for me. But it was a big change. But Edgar Evans, of course, has the condo-style cabins, and um, they had built the marina, the private operated marina. It was the only private operated marina at the time of any substance. It was huge. Mm-hmm. It's still still mm-hmm. growing. Mm-hmm. And um, really nice, unique campgrounds there on the platforms. Mm-hmm. And um, I really enjoyed it there. And then, uh, that's right before and I And you were the area manager. Not there, no. No, no, okay. That was four area managers. So you were one of the top rangers there. In, in, well, I was the park manager. Okay. And um, I had been there maybe three years, four years. And uh, Ed Schoenberger had passed away. 
and it had been announced by Walter Butler that they were going to uh, hire separately the park manager and the chief ranger at Horton. Going to be they're dividing up that program, and uh, so I didn't think anything about it. And I got a call from Charlie Tate one day. He said, "Murray, you need to apply for that job at Horton." And I told him, "Charlie, I'm happy where I'm at." He said, "Murray, you need to apply for that job at Horton." <laughs> He was another one who was on the interview panel. So that's what, he's the one that convinced me to go to Horton. And the job there at Horton was as the, the area manager? No, it was the park manager. Park manager. Before they divided up the operations, okay. separated okay. the operations. Okay. Um, of course, they got the golf course, restaurant. Okay, so yeah. over all of that. Right. Yes. Right. Now, that was, at that time, it's called a park manager four. Okay. And uh, that was basically the highest field position that you could have. Right. As a park manager. For right, and, and you know that's a resort park, so it has all the elements, and, yes. and that's what that's what and makes a skeet range. And a skeet range, yes, exactly. Can't forget that. Right. So, so at, at how long did you work there at Horton? Uh, I was at Horton, I think, uh, less than four years, probably three and a half years. And um, one thing that that took place. Between Edgar Evans at Horton was the 96 Olympics. Oh. And I got the opportunity to work at the 96 Olympics uh, at Okoye River. I want to hear all about that. Tell us about that. Well, Jamie Nicholson, who um, was the manager at the time for Okoye River in Hawassi. Okay. He was kind of the, you know, they developed um, a association of a group association of law enforcement, um, Polk County Sheriff's Department, uh, U.S. Forest Service, TBA Police, um, Tennessee Highway Patrol, TBI, all of them were involved in the uh, oversight and security of the 96 Olympics. And uh, so two years prior to the Olympics, anybody that was going to be a law enforcement person working the Olympics had to go through lots of training. So about three times a year, we would go to these trainings um, because we were dealing with an international event. Right. And uh, so... So the event that took place on the Okoy was was the uh, the competitive kayaking... Canoeing and kayaking. Canoeing and kayaking, right, right. right. And this was in association with the the Olympics that otherwise was in Atlanta. Correct. Right, right. Correct. And um, I ended up being what they call a shift supervisor on the um, event side. You had your spectator side of the river and you had your event side of the river. The event side had the all the participants, the athletes, the timing, the judges. And, uh, of course, there, there's a lot of activity on the um, on the event side. Not near as many people. Right. But that was, uh, you know, pleased and proud to have said that I worked the 96 Olympics. So much fun. But uh, being a shift supervisor, I was over all the officers that were on the event side during my, I think we did 12-hour shifts. Right. And uh, we had TBA police. We had U.S. Forest Service police. Uh, I think we had a, might have had a Polk County policeman over there. And I think we had some plainclothes uh, TBI that were back over there. And it went off very smoothly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No issues whatsoever. Super. One of the things that they taught us in these trainings said, you need to 
take note of who's at these trainings because part of the security is familiarity with the officers that you'll be working with. You know, you all got different uniforms. You're going to wear your regular uniforms, but you need to recognize, be able to know and recognize these people. Well, we were having a pre-Olympic event and it was an international pre-Olympic event and uh, we had all the trained officers on both sides. Well, someone um, noted on the radio, said we've got a unidentified officer, uniformed officer on the spectator side. Well, that created a all points bulletin to go right. locate right. this unidentified law enforcement officer that was on the spectator side. When find out it was David Haggard that taking his eagle up there to do an eagle presentation. Oh, and they didn't notify anybody in advance about him, about him being there. So David is, to identify David to us. Tell us, tell our audience who David is. Well, David is still working. Okay. He's still a, a West Tennessee regional naturalist. Okay. He works with the seasonals, so I'm sure he's still. He just took it upon himself to, to appear with an eagle. Well, I think that was part of the programming of, that they had up there. Right. That they just didn't notify the people when he came in <laughs> that uh, he was going to be coming in in uniform. Uh, I don't think he was carrying his eagle, but uh, it, it was kind of an interesting event. Interesting. So f- when did you when did you end up moving into central office in, in parks? Well, in, I went to Horton in 96 and then 2000. 2001 is when I went to central office mm-hmm. and um, my relocation to central office was not voluntary it was tell us what, what that was all about well um, our new assistant commissioner Mark Williams had come in and um, he decided he didn't want me at Horton for multiple reasons which I don't really know. So he decided he was going to move me, and he moved me. He called me into his office one day and said, uh, I'm going to be transferring you. said, uh, you're non-civil service. and said, I'll have to think about whether I even want to keep you, which was quite stressful. But two weeks later to the day, he calls me, or his clerk calls me to come meet him in the office, and that's when he informed me that I was coming to central office and I was going to be overseeing the access fee program. So that's how I ended up in, in central office. Goodness. And uh, leading up to that, access fees had been discussed and mentioned, thrown around, nothing ever, you know, I don't think anybody in the field ever thought it would happen. Then I show up in Nashville and I'm told that you're going to be implementing the access fee program. And let's let's give some background uh, to that so that our listeners will understand okay. the, the, the the politics of that. So we're dealing now with uh, the life and circumstances with Governor Sunquist. That's correct. Okay. So um, we'd had um, Governor McWhorter. No, we had not had Governor McWhorter. Yes, we had. Yeah. And then, then Sunquist, and Sunquist had decided that we needed to have a state income tax. Correct. And uh, got a lot of pushback on that. He did. And there was a tendency for people to, politicians and, and the governor, 
to blame state parks for the for the financial circumstances that we're in, which state parks were just a small drop in a small drop in a big bucket. There was no question that the economics of state government was uh, challenging, to say the least. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, and I think there were there, and the state was looking for all kinds of new revenue sources. Well, my entire career, everything that was pushed down to us is do more with less. Right. You know, budget cuts. You know, you got to have a three percent budget cut this year. And uh, it was just a struggle all the time to try to keep the park looking good and not only looking good, but to manage your resources and do it without a lot of money. Right. And um, the access fee program, what I didn't know when it was handed to me, there had already been a committee of park people that had been put together with some planners in Nashville that actually went out to other states that implemented excess fees and they put together a program guideline. And when I say program guideline, it was just an outline of the steps to take and how it was going to be done. And it was handed to me and said, here's your, here's your working papers. Here's what you need to do. So honestly, it was the most challenging thing I've ever done. And looking back on it, I don't know how I did what I did in the short period of time that I did it because there were no physical procedures. There was no um, no processes in place to handle it. Uh, so I immediately got permission to drive into Georgia. Georgia had an access fee program that had been in place for quite a while. And we made some decisions to do some fee tubes where we bought fee tubes from a provider that made them specifically for state parks. Ordered fee tubes. Uh, we had a pilot program of four parks. So from September of 2000 until January 2001, three of the four pilot parks were already generating excess fees. You know, Long Hunter, Radnor, uh, Hawassi wasn't yet because we delayed it until the river started running in right. March and April. Right. And um, what was the other? Uh, Pinson Mounts. So the the challenge, if, and tell me if I'm if I'm stating this correctly, the uh, it's it's not a, a practical to initiate a fee program, an entrance fee program, by setting up a little booth at the at no. the front at the front of the park. Uh, and having a ranger station there or a clerk station there to collect a fee um, because uh, some of the park had parks had multiple entrances right, for one right. thing and um, and then uh, and then you'd be eating away the money that you're collecting by having to support this staff person right so this, you uh, you had to come up with a way that it was kind of self-operated correct right. um, we had five hundred thousand dollars loan from one of the environmental groups, uh, environmental divisions of the department. So we had $500,000 to start it. So we had to purchase envelopes, P em uh, access fee envelopes to use in a fee team. So we had to buy the envelopes. They had to be developed, go through a planning process, uh, approval process. We had to get the fee tubes. Uh, we also Now what is a fee tube? A fee tube is a 
24 inch in diameter piece of pipe that sits upright with a slot that you okay. put your fee envelope into. I got it. It's got and it's controlled secure. access. It's right. secure right. and controlled access from the back. And uh, so we had to buy the feed tubes, have them installed, buy the envelopes, get them distributed. We bought two actual fee machines, not unlike a uh, ATM, right? Where people could buy a day pass or an annual pass, and we had access fee hang tags for people that gotcha. bought an annual pass. Gotcha. Oh, I remember those. And exactly. the uh, the fee envelopes had a little day use hang tag, a paper hang tag. You pulled out, put it on your mirror, or put it on your dash. And in the first year of the pilot program, we generated uh, over a million dollars. That's so interesting. And, you know, I think at the time, there was a lot of pushback from citizens. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially, and I remember here at Radnor. Um, but the other, the other part of it, there was a threat to close parks. Well, they did close some parks. Tell, tell us about that. Um, I think that occurred in 2002. Um, they closed 13 parks in different operations. It wasn't 13 parks. It's like... 10 or 11 parks and some operations. They closed uh, parts of Horton, but they left the golf course open. Um, they closed Big Hill Pond. They closed uh, pretty much all of Real Foot. And um, I don't have that list with me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it was, it was pretty major. And uh, it brought an outcry from our supporters um, about the park closures. And um, it was not a good time for state parks because right. uh, a lot of you know they closed some parks in east tennessee and uh, when they closed those parks they might leave a manager uh, a ranger there to oversee it but they ended up laying off maintenance people they transferred rangers they had a lot of people that had to uh, what they call bumping and retreat mm-hmm. you know if a Within the civil service program. Right, they had to go through the civil service procedures. And a lot of managers got transferred that ended up causing other people to get demoted and transferred. Right. It was uh, was a terrible time. Goodness. So how did that that all come to to a conclusion? We don't, we, uh, many of those, all of those parks, as far as I know, have reopened. Um, and we don't have the uh, admittance fees at, at any of our parks today. Well, it, it's kind of interesting. I was up there supporting this program, and I had basically reached a tipping point. The park management people in the field, they were accepting of it. The parks that had implemented it, they became the best salesmen for the parks that had not. Um and one of the things that a park that had implemented, um, the managers recognized that the people that, that were there wanted to be there. The people that were there took better care of the park. And um, was, you just got to kind of weeded out the people you didn't need to be there. And it, it did reduce the um, visitation some, but that was not necessarily a negative thing. But um, when... Bredesen campaigned. His main campaign issue was reopen parks and get rid of access fees. And he did. He got rid of access fees and reopened parks. Right. 
And your thought about that is that there were some advantage, some advantages to the oh, yeah. access fee. There were quite a few advantages to it. Didn't necessarily need to like it, but I had to like it. Right. You know, I had to be 100 percent right. behind it. Right. Because uh, I felt like my future was hinged on the success of that program. Right. And it ended up being one of the uh, good talking points for the commissioner at the time. Right. Um, but it kind of faded away when Bredesen came right. in. Jim Fike became the deputy commissioner initially, and um, he phased it out. And we had to talk to him and say it's not necessarily a bad thing. The um, campaign people kind of got some bad information about the program during the campaign. They didn't have inside knowledge of how it worked. Right. They were just totally against it. But uh, it cre actually created some new positions. And when when they eliminated the program, they had to fund the new posi the new positions oh, that had been created, which is not gracious. necessarily an easy thing. You know, um, if you sit down and look at the budget of the Division of Parks, um, it's very hard to take your eye off the revenue-producing uh, elements of the park system. So you're 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 always focused on the big parks. Where you know you, you're looking at Horton and Fall Creek Falls and Warriors Path and these uh, Pick Pickwick um, that that P Paris Landing that have these huge enterprise operations and they bring in a lot of money. Now they don't they don't make money, right? Um, but they do support themselves to a, to a greater degree than the other parks do. Yeah. Uh, one thing that parks are doing now that they never have done in the past, and they're, from what I can see, they're being very successful, is that, take for example, last year, I signed up for a tour of the Link Farm in West Tennessee. You know, the Link Farm has a bunch of mounds, ceremonial uh, mounds from the mound builders. So they were having a tour and they were not charging a fee, but you can make a donation if you attended the, the tour. So my sister and I, we went on the tour, and we paid $10 each as a donation. Right. And uh, we both felt like we got our money's worth and more than willing to pay the $10, even though we didn't have to, right. to, to go get a presentation from an archaeologist about the history of the mounds and what happened and and when they, when they occurred. And... Uh, of course, you've interviewed David Britton. They're doing something exactly. similar exactly. At, uh, at Dunbar Cave. They're right. doing tours of the cave, and yet they're doing guided tours. They're limited, uh, but you pay a fee. And so parks programming becomes a revenue stream. Yes, which exactly. in the past never was. I just so, but Offered programs for free. Correct. Yeah, exactly. But these programs now, you can... You can reserve them online, which is a good thing. I right. think that uh, right. the parks like Dunbar, which had very minimal revenue production ability, now has a revenue. A little stream coming in anyway. Yes, yeah. Right. Well, and, you know, that that's the point I'm, I was trying to make. The, mm -hmm. you know, parks like Radnor that don't have any kind of enterprise operation. Right. Um, you know, you, know you, you have 
several rangers there, and it's a it, it's a big out outlay of right. general fund uh, money to support that park with nothing on the revenue side. So if you're look if you're looking at the budget. Um, you know, trying to come up with an element of revenue for, for those little parks. Um, I've often thought that um, there needed to be some sort of a um, annual uh, fee t- for people that, that well, participate in those kind of Radnor, parks. When the F- excess fee program was initiated, Radnor was the most successful. Mm-hmm. And they were most accepting, too. Mm-hmm. You know, there was very little kickback from the at- pe- people in the park right. about buying an annual pass which right. at the time was thirty dollars right so uh, what a deal that would be oh yeah that's that's you know the hunting lot li- what's a hunting license these days oh, I don't I have no don't idea know. but but uh, it'd be a similar sort of thing right um, so to let to have access to that park which is a world-class situation oh, yeah. so. and now they've got an eagle so it's just right. bringing more people in right and their problem has always been parking I mean there's not enough parking for the peak period yes exactly. So after you after your experience with the with the fee collection, uh, how did you how did you wind up your career then in at well, conservation? You know, I was at Harrison Bay for ten years, as the longest I was at any park, and I ended up being in central office for a little over twelve years, and those final twelve years just flew by. But uh, when when Bredesen became governor. Um, I was no longer an access fee guy. I became eventually a, a, um, a regional manager. And I had just a few For parks. For the Middle Tennessee region? Well, just a few parks. I only had okay. like five or six parks. Okay. Uh, it took some of the load off the ones that were traveling. But I ended up being the person that was maintaining and upgrading and um, uh, modernizing the the uh, oh, not only physical procedures within the park, but the uh, um, the management plans. Well, I didn't do the management no. plans. I did the uh, uh, policy manual? Okay. Uh, there's a substantial policy manual. Of course, every time a new commissioner comes in, you're supposed to redo all the policy manual. Well, I ended up kind of volunteer. So let me take the policy manual and update it. And at the time, Fran Wallace was in legal. Right. So we would do one, ch- I think it was like nine chapters. We would do one chapter at a time, pull them out. And uh, thank goodness, they were already available on a Word document. So we were able to update, put in the legal term. Fran would review it. And then... Uh, We'd print it out, get the commissioner to sign it, and get it updated. Super. You know, um, tell, tell us more about Fran. I, you know, Fran Wallace was a friend of mine and a law school classmate of mine. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, we, we both graduated the Nashville School of Law in 1983. Oh. And um, she, she became, she, when she came into the department, she was an assistant to Lee Ellis, who was the right. uh, general counsel for the department at the time. And... Um, and then when Lee left, uh, she became general counsel for the old de- conservation department. Um, actually, um, Penny Harrington was in that position for a period of time, and then I Fran. Penny, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but tell us about your experience with Fran. Well, Fran was 
the best friend to the people in the field. I mean, if you had a legal question, you could get in touch with Fran, and she would have an answer to you that day or the next day. And um, if there was an issue, she'd help you work through those issues. Uh, I know she was a big hiker. Everybody right, knows that. right, she right. She used to always head out on the Fridays to the Smokies and hit the trail by herself. And apparently she'd walked all the trails in the Smokies from what I right. from, from right. what I understand. Right. And uh, she was very staunch in her approach to legal matters in the park. If there was an issue that she believed in that shouldn't happen, she would be right there and document it and say, this doesn't need to happen. <laughs> and sometimes she might have run afoul of people that wanted to get things done. Right. But uh, she was always an avid supporter of parks. Yeah, terrific, nice, nice, nice person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, would you do it all, all over again? Well, <clears throat> many years ago, I went to a function my sister was having, and that's when I've been. See, I left my hometown. Was gone about twenty years, and this was before I came back. So I came back to this function that my sister was having. There's a lot of people that were friends of hers and friends of the family, and I didn't hardly know any of them there. Well, this lady came up to me. She said, you're, you're Murray, aren't you? You're Fran's little brother. I said, I am. She said, aren't you the park ranger? I said, well, I work in parks. I do several things in parks. She said, well, tell me about what you do. I told her what I do. I said, I'm a park manager and um, have uh, several people under me that the rangers and we get things done in the park try to take care of the people take care of the park and she said well how do you like your job and I told her I said well I think I went down the right path I said I've never looked back and never doubted the career career I chose and uh, never wished I'd done anything else and she looked at me and she said you don't know how lucky you are you are lucky absolutely she said I'm a therapist and half the people that come see me are, are 10 or 15 years into a career that they hate. Don't you know it. And they can't change. They're kind of at a point of no return. Right. And I, I never had that. I always had difficulties at times, but not with the choice of working in parks. That's just fantastic to hear. Now, Murray, you're, you're involved, too, with, with a group of, of veterans of, in the parks um the, the ten, uh, you know that of people that uh, have retired and that sort of right. thing um tell us about that well Shane Petty i think 3 years ago initiated uh, what they call the annual ranger reunion to try to get together the people that we worked with all these years and once a year get together and and just have a, a weekend to to reminisce about our jobs and what we're doing now and um, I missed the first two, but I get to, got to go this year, and I was really glad. It was a great, great turnout. Right. And uh, I have to hand it to Shane for putting that together because there's a lot of work together. A lot of people, like, they don't want to go back. They're, once they're retired, they said, I'm, I'm done. But uh, there's probably 45, 50 retired people. It's not just rangers. It can be retired right. park employees right. can, can come. Right. So it was, it was great. Lots of fun. So you have you have been throughout the, your throughout your years. You've been probably to every state park. Oh, and, yeah. and, and and then and, and most of them several times. 
if you had to make wave a magic wand, uh, uh, is there is there a project or two that you would like to see done? Uh, a new park somewhere, or a, a new facility, or a, a, something like that. You know, I don't remember which commissioner said it, but he was talking about Billy Glenn Smith at Pickett, <laughs> and he was kind of making fun of Billy Glenn in a way, but in a way he wasn't. He said, "You know, sometimes the best way to manage a park is to do nothing," and what he meant by that. Billy was really good at maintaining the facilities and the grounds and the buildings, but Billy didn't want anything new. And in a way, that is a good thing, but you got to change with the times. I know there's been a lot of new development in the parks. And one thing I didn't get into as far as my final five years in state parks was oversight of capital budget, capital maintenance, capital budget, and major maintenance. Um, You know, the- It's a huge task. Oh, you know, I was chosen for that job. There again, I was chosen. I wasn't, I didn't volunteer for it. But one reason I was chosen in, in the past, I'd always been kind of an engineer that oversaw that um, that section, but me being in central office and my experience in the field, Jim Fike decided, Murray, you're, you've got experience in the process. I said, this job is more about the process than it is about engineering and whatever. And honestly, it took me a year and a half to wrap my hands around the processes involved with capital Budgeting and the building commission and, and all that stuff, right? Right. You know, every every month you got to make a almost every month you got to make a presentation to the uh, state building commission, right? And of course, the commissioner does that. But as far as the prep work to get that done, that was on my back to go to the they had the pre agenda meeting, which that's where they grill you. Have you ever been to a pre-agenda meeting? Many times, yes. Did they grill you? <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, they tore me up a couple of times in there. Right. And um, But it, it was a rewarding process because you get the chance to take the needs of the parks and try to put them on paper to convince somebody we need to fund this uh, new building at Fall Creek. Uh, and this is how much it's going to cost. Right. You know, Fall Creek's got a brand new hotel and restaurant. Right. That process started before I left, and I left in 2012. Right. But it started out as a major renovation. And then once you get into a major renovation, you start getting into life safety issues with the fire alarms and and exits. And ADA compliance, and that's when they found out that it was just almost impossible to renovate that building to the current standards. Right. So demolition was the reason that that's why they dem- demolished it. Right, and the same with Paris Landing, and the same with Correct. Montgomery Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, amazing. So uh, the question again is: if you had to wave, if you waved a magic wand. 
Uh, is there a, a project or a, a facility or a park that comes to mind that that uh, that might be something to advocate for? Well, you know, um, I think rather than large um, construction, large facilities, I think if we could go through and just do a renovation of different parks every year that was tried and it was never very successful because once you start a capital project with multiple facets it becomes so complex that it almost becomes impossible to achieve right Um, but as far as any major so you think the focus needs to be on maintenance Maintenance of what you have right. and improvement of what you right, have. Right, right. You know, when I was um, in that top position, one of the things that Mark Carlton asked me. Who said, was the director at the time. At the time, he yeah. was assistant commissioner, director right. of parks. Right. He said, Murray, that mill at David Crockett State Park has not operated in several years. But you go find out why, see if you can get it running. Oh, my goodness. So I went what down a challenge. There. So I went down there with the uh, regional maintenance manager, and we met at David Crockett. And I said, what's going on here? I mean, what's, what's well, number one, we don't have enough money. Number two, there was a water line that went from the lake that fed the mill. And there's a break in the water line under the road. And I told the rest of Tennessee Regional Band, I had, at the time, a contingency fund of major maintenance money that I could use at my discretion. I said, get an estimate of what it's going to cost to dig that road up and repair that pipe. I said, I'm going to try to get that meal running. So about a month later, he called me up. He said, I've got got three bids. He said, they're cheaper than what we thought. I said, well, here's the money. Get it done. And they got it done. And now the mill can run when they want it to run. You know, it's stuff like that that gives the visitors a history of the park and a reason that that mill's there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of living history that takes place in parks now. And that's an opportunity for that. You know, it's interesting, um, and you'll relate to this. um, When I first came into conservation, uh, was about the time that Charlie Howell became the Commissioner of Conservation. Right. Um, it was about two years after I'd been in the department. And he began to tour the parks. And as he was, uh, as was his character, he, when he went into a building, he opened every door, every, looked in every closet, looked at every right. equipment room, um, and was was a knowledgeable observe, observer of those things. I mean, he had been in con, in the construction field, right? And um, up until that point, I think the the um, the way that that park managers looked at problems with those sorts of things is is to hide their 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 impulse was to hide those things from the visitor. Right, and from the, st- the state, the state representative, or the senator, or the or the uh, you know person from central office, they were they were hiding those things, and Charlie turned that around. He says, "We got to find out what the problems are, so that we can get the money to fix them." Well, you know, when I was at Horton, I don't remember 
which commissioner it was, but he came through with a couple of people. He said, we want to do a park tour. We want you to go with us, and we want you to show us what you need. Right. So we went to the cabins, and the furnishings in those cabins had to have been 20 years old. Right. And the mattresses probably hadn't been replaced in 10 or 15 years. And I told him, I said, you know, these, these couches and these chairs and these beds, we're making do with what we have and we don't have money to buy it. I said, right. we need furnishings money. Right. Furnishings for these cabins, I mean, the cabins were still sound, had good roofs on them. Right. But we need... The, ex- the visitor experience was deteriorated because yeah, it was you just... You can't yeah. fund the furnishings for these cabins right. with the funds available within the park. Right. You know... The park manager is constantly trying to uh, balance his needs on what he has to have right. versus what he needs. Right. You know, wants and, wants and needs. Right. You know, uh, you got to take care of your needs first, and sometimes you don't have the money to take care of that. Right. And so, I think over time, the realization has come in that there needs to be a, some kind of furnishings fund right. to take care of. Yeah. In rooms and cabins and um, lobbies, things like that. Yeah, but I think Parks is doing much, much better with oh, yeah, those things are. than they ever have been. Well, Murray, it's been a joy to talk with you today. Maybe we'll have to revisit this, and and I know after we we're done, we're going to think of a dozen things that we might have talked about that we that we missed. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, <clears throat> very fortunate to have thirty five years of Parks, and looking back, I can't believe it. <laughs> but I had a 35-year career, and I've been gone for 10 or 11 now. Right. So it, it was a great period of time. Well, thanks for joining us today and hope to get back to you soon. Thank you very much.